We're here today to discuss new research that looks at how testosterone impacts behavior. And here to talk to us are two of the paper's co-authors. We have Wharton Marketing Professor Gideon Neve. Gideon, thanks for being here. Hi, Rachel. Thank you. And we have Amos Nadler from Ivy Business School. Amos, thanks for being here. Great being here, Rachel. So, Amos, you're going to start for us and tell us a little bit about what you studied and how you studied it. So this study uh, looks at testosterone. It's a sex hormone in the body. And what we wanted to know is how would this particular sex hormone affect the way that people think, specifically men making uh, somewhat complicated decisions. And so we wanted to know how would testosterone affect people's ability to think through uh, decision-making situations that require some thought. Uh, and so you could imagine that possibly the hormone that's associated with, say, reproduction and fighting would be possibly not conducive to making better decisions. And Gideon, can you tell us a little bit about some of the key takeaways of the paper? Well, what we found is that uh, in a specific uh, task that is called the cognitive reflection test, it's a test that is designed especially to put men in the situation where there is an intuitive answer that jumps to one's mind, but it's wrong, and you need to overcome it and just you know calm down a little bit and think it through and get to the correct answer. We found that testosterone uh, is making men rely on their in this case, wrong instinctive answers that jumps to their head. So Amos, could you give us an example of one of these questions that was on the test? Um, sure, I think that'd be fun, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so- it Depends on if I get it right, I Okay, think. well I'm gonna test you on the spot, see if you can do sure. this. Okay, okay, so imagine a pond of lily pads. And now these lily pads are growing and they double every day. And on day 48, the pond is full. On what day is the pond half full of lily pads? I think what I want to say is on the day, it would be on day 24, but I'm sure that's wrong or you wouldn't be asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so, you got, okay, so the re- you're reflecting already on the possibility that, but what do you want to say? Well, I mean, what I want to say is since the pond is full on day 48, that the pond would be half full halfway through the time, which 48 divided by 2 is 24. Right. But I bet I'm wrong. That would be correct. So you were able to catch, so you're correct that you're wrong, but I'm going to push you harder, so what's the right answer? (laughs) (laughs) Um, See, this is where it's bad that this isn't live, because we could take it to the listeners and see if they could get it. Um, I'm going to guess that the answer is... I don't know. I guess maybe we don't know. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give up. I want to know. The first impulse is exactly what most people do is they think, well, so you actually were able to catch yourself. But what we find is that there is what's called the intuitive incorrect answer, which would be you said, well, half of 48 is 24, and that must be the answer. So that's the answer that most people jump to. But if you think about it, that isn't correct because on day 48, it's full. So let's try backwards induction. So we said they double every day. So if it's full on day 48 and you go backwards, how full is it on day 47? Oh, it would be half full. Right, it doubles. Right. So the correct answer is 47. So when we look at the the data, so for example, the testosterone group, more of them gave the answer of 24. It's what we call the intuitive incorrect answer. And the, the group that received the placebo gel, more of them gave the correct answer. And so that's a good example of, of the cognitive reflection task where you have the intuitive incorrect answer that you want to jump to, but then you catch yourself just like you did, and then you think through, and then you're able to get the correct answer. And that's what really the, the paper is about, is that these three seemingly simple questions, uh, that the testosterone treatment reduced their ability to catch that they're getting the wrong answer, and it took them a little bit longer to actually get the right answer. So we actually measured some reaction time 
Um, so it took a bit, bit longer to get the right answer, yeah. So Gideon, were there any conclusions that surprised you guys when you did this? Um, we also did a control test that basically examined their capacity to do these calculations. Basically, it's something that captures whether they can do or how fast they can do adding and subtract subtraction. Uh, these things that require to have the capacity to answer the questions, and we found no influence of the drug on it. So it's really not about the capacity to do these mathematical calculations, not about motivation or engagement. It's really about this reflection, this stopping one second before you give the answer, checking yourself, and do this very little mathematical work to get it right. So that was quite surprising that it's very selective uh, to this uh, concept of reflection. Uh, other things that surprised us? Almost anything. Uh, the selectivity, I have to agree that that was a surprise. We thought that if uh, it affects their mathematical abilities, that it would also affect their cognitive reflection. But we found that, as Giddy said, that it was selective, that math, if you can compare the groups that got testosterone and the groups that got placebo, there's really no difference between them. And so if, if you might say, well, testosterone affects mathematical abilities, we, we can show that they're identical, the distributions are identical. And they were also given money for giving the right answers on both tasks. So it's not as if they got a financial reward for the math and not financial reward for, for the actual co cognitive test. Um, and so that, that was surprising how selective it affected cognition, which really tells us a lot about cognition and how complex it really can be. And so it's not the ability to add, say, um, five two-digit numbers, you know, 13, 98, whatever. It's the ability to then say, this may not be the correct answer. And so math, there isn't an intuitive incorrect answer with the mathematics. And I think that's probably the difference why we get the separation there, is that people generally don't walk around with an intuitive response to something like that. Um, and so I found that very fascinating. I think it's also room for, for more research to look at how cognition functions. So Amos, I'm curious, I'm actually curious to ask both of you, is how does this research apply in real life, both for the person who's making the decision, the person who might be impacted by the decision, mm -hmm. for people that have more testosterone, for those of us that might have less testosterone? Like how do you, how can we think about this research in real life and how does it help us to keep it in mind? Well, I'd say there, there are two components. One is looking at uh, the testosterone that, well, all people have testosterone, and testosterone varies. I think that's an important part to keep in mind here. And what this experiment did was it elevated levels of testosterone for one group while left the other group exactly as they were with, with the placebo. And so what we're really trying to understand is that when you're at elevated levels of testosterone, how that might affect your decision-making process. And so what that's what we're looking at here. And so uh, people experience different states of testosterone, which we simulated. So, for example, um, well, there's sexual activity that increases testosterone. There's preparing for a challenge that would, that, that's called the challenge hypothesis. Testosterone levels rise in preparation for a challenge. Um, there's also the putative uh, winner-loser hypothesis. So if you win something large, the body's uh, supposed to produce a lot more testosterone. So it's shown very clearly in animal literature. It's something also we're looking at in the human literature. And so to see how our own biological states, the endogenous hormones that we release, how those are going to affect the decisions, the way that we think when we're in those different states. And that's really was the whole point. Um, and so that was the first one, the hormonal aspect. Uh, the second part is really about how this paradigm mimics other real-world situations. I don't know if you want to comment on that. Yeah, so obviously what we care about is real-world situations, and there is no consensus of whether this paradigm is exactly mimicking it. Uh, we have to keep in mind, though, that we use the drug that is very widely prescribed, and uh, there are some evidence that even some uh, clinics in Wall Street are prescribing it to people who are working on the trading floor. 
One uh, thing that I would be worried of, we are following the media and uh, over the past few days we've seen an explosion of uh, stories about uh, this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them were quite inaccurate. Uh, one main takeaway that I see is that not every gender difference between men and women is caused by testosterone. It's not necessarily even biological. So I would, jump, would not jump to a conclusion about saying anything about gender with, with, with respect to this research. Another thing that we have to keep in mind is that this was indeed one of the largest, maybe the largest study conducted to date. Uh, we see effects that are very consistent, and uh, we, are, uh, we think that statistically the results are very strong, but we always have to keep in mind that this is one study, and we're hoping that uh, we're going to replicate it in a much larger sample. We're actually working on this uh, nowadays. So I think we need to all stay with our uh, feet on the ground and make sure that we're going to get more information very soon. So, Giddy, do you think there are other misperceptions that this research dispels? I mean, you talked a little bit about just the idea that it, people shouldn't think it's completely different, that that completely explains differences between men and women. But are there others? I think that in many ways this, uh, this research actually <laughs> confirms some of the uh, maybe misperceptions that people have. Once I gave a talk about this and uh, a woman came to me and thanked me for proving that all men are idiots. Uh, so this, not, this is not a, ma- a misperception people uh, should have, but uh, I mean, I think the main takeaway as a misperception is we need to think of what is the function of testosterone and why we see this. Just as I gave this example of visual illusion, many times it's good to go with your gut, especially in situations when responding slowly is ex- especially costly. Competition is one of them. Maybe some situations when going with your instincts or working on or letting your instinct just guide your behavior is going to get you a better solution. In these cases, testosterone is going to be beneficial. So I wouldn't jump to a conclusion that testosterone makes men stupid, not even men who are taking testosterone. It's just something that we need to be aware of and know that this drug would influence people in this way and this hormone could have this sometimes unpredicted influences on our behavior and decision making. So unfortunately, I can't go home and tell my husband that this research is the reason that I am right. But um, Amos, did you have something to add? I was going to add that I certainly agree that this is this is a study. Uh, it is a large sample size. Um, but there is interesting concordance with another study that I ran recently. As Giddy mentioned, there's uh, quite a bit of this being prescribed to Wall Street traders, people working in financial sector that are moving substantial amounts of money. And so a, a recent study that I did looked at the influence of the exact same drug on uh, prices, essentially in fun, uh, price bubbles in experimental markets and found that the exact same drug that we use and the same one that's being prescribed actually causes prices to go up dramatically higher than their fundamental value and then to crash. And so the bubbles were larger, they lasted longer. Um, and so, so we could see that these two studies actually fit together, that the traders weren't looking at the fundamental value of the stock that they were trading. And so we're seeing that they were not reflecting on it. They created, you know, the market itself determines the prices. And so there's some interesting considerations, I think, about the impact in terms of, you know, the real world. It's not just the state that people are in as they were trying to simulate. It's that people are taking the drug to artificially raise their levels, and it's changing the way that they think. Now, you talk a little bit about the large sample size. Um, were there, uh, this, could you talk a little more about that and then also anything else that kind of sets this research apart from other research being conducted that's similar? 
Uh, sure. So uh, this field has been uh, it's still really in its infancy, and some of the, the papers that were built upon were run by fairly smaller samples. And so ours coming in at 243 is dramatically larger than, than the next study that, that I can think of offhand. Um, they've been published in, in top, top, top journals. And so really what we're trying to do with this is both uh, validate previous findings, uh, and if it's not there, if we cannot replicate, we need to un better understand uh, what the real effect is. Um, and so I think it's important to uh, not put too much weight on the first first study uh, and to be able to replicate with an, kind of an open mind and, and be transparent with other researchers what the actual effect is. I know this is something that, that uh, Giddy's worked on with uh, Colin Kammerer, he has a large replication project, and Colin is also uh, a co-author on this paper, as well as David Zava from ZRT Labs, have both been huge contributors to this project. So if you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, another uh, quite uh, outstanding part of this project is that we really monitored people's physiological state. Uh, we didn't in only induce testosterone, but we also measured many other hormones, including stress hormones, so we could really control for the people's uh, hormonal state during the time that they take the test. And uh, one other result that we confirmed is that there is also a link between the stress hormone cortisol and scoring low in this test. Uh, suggesting that cortisol indeed is also related to this tendency to give fast intuitive response that in this case is wrong. So Giddy, what's next, what's next for the research? What are you guys going to study next? Well, our, first of all, we are uh, aware of uh, the fact that one study is promising, but we are going to keep pursuing this uh, and replicate the effect in larger samples. Uh, one advantage of this CRT is that it's only three questions, so it's very easy to repeat it uh, when we do any other task. Another thing that, uh, or I guess other questions that uh, this uh, research leaves us with is what is the actual mechanism? Is it make us feel more confident about our intuition? On the other hand, maybe it makes us less suspicious overall, or maybe it makes us uh, want to respond faster. There are many uh, possible underlying psychological mechanisms that we need to know better. This is just the first step towards understanding them. But once we establish this effect, we need to really go and find the root cause. Uh, and this is what we're planning to do. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.